Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be discussing the books that I'm taking on vacation. I think Gail's going to give us a few books. Maybe she'll come up with some things for me to take. I'm going on, I'm going to have a very long flight because I'm going to be traveling to Asia. I have quite a list of books here. It seems a little bit ridiculous, but at the same time, I just have to have the comfort (laughs) of, I think I've picked out like nine books. So we're going to do, we will do our backlist books, Oh, good. I believe. And what else do we Our have book club planned? discussion. Oh, yeah. Our book club discussion. Yes. Why we're really here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I was so excited about vacation books. <laughs> so in what order should we tackle this, Gail? Let's start with what you're taking on vacation. Okay. So a couple of the books that I'm taking on vacation, I have spoken about a little bit at length, I think, in our preview shows. I'm a little uncertain about the order of things. So we have been doing a bunch of recording because I'm going to be gone for like two weeks. So I don't, gosh, I hope I've mentioned these. One is Elizabeth Gilbert, City of Girls. Um, It's her book that's set in the 1940s. It's about this woman who finds herself kicked out of Vassar and her parents sent her to live with her aunt in New York And when she gets there, she's, of course, very taken with the life, like her aunt owns this theater. And, you know, so there's just like very interesting characters surrounding this theater and she gets to know the people who work there. But then it says that she has a professional scandal that takes place. Like, I don't know if it's associated with the theater or what kind of work she's gotten, but there's a professional scandal that takes place that changes the shape of her life and her trajectory and you know, a lot of things change for her. And I believe that the book is looking back on her youth. So I'm really excited to read that. I have read Elizabeth Gilbert. I don't know if I've read any of her fiction. Like I hear great things about her fiction. And I know there was another nonfiction book of hers. Like she used to write nonfiction about other people. And there's this nonfiction book that she wrote about sort of like a mountain man that I really wanted to read. And I don't know. So I'm looking forward to reading this. Like I've read the first chapter and it looks like the reading is good. The writing is going to be really good. So the book I was thinking about was last American man. Man. Mm, Okay. So that is number one. And so I'm going to tell you where it's going to go. It is 466 pages. This bad boy is going in my suitcase. That will be checked. (laughs) Okay, good. So the other book that I talked about at some point at length is Signet by Susan Butler. Now, this is a really slim book. It's about 220 pages. So I'm going to put it in my carry-on. It is the book about the woman who, or her, she's referred to as the kid. Her parents have abandoned her and she goes to live with her grandmother on this island that is... I believe off the coast of New Hampshire and it's called Swan Island. And 
Some of the residents who have taken up living on Swan Island is a group, a community of elderly people who do not like youth or young people at all. So, you know, they exchange pointed glances or things are very tense between them. And, but they're also facing climate change. So it's interesting because it's sort of dystopian, like climate change is an aspect of this novel, like sea levels are rising, but it's also just taking a look at old, you know, old versus young and the youth worshiping society that we live in and how, and how people are reacting to that. So I'm going to take this on the plane with me because it's 220 pages. It is a 16 hour flight. I'm hopeful that I will sleep for at least half of this, but it looks like I can probably get through this pretty quickly and start something else. Yeah. All right. So that's that. I've been saving the new Wendy Walker and it's out this month. It's actually, it will have actually come up the Tuesday. It came out this Tuesday. So Wendy Walker is always good for a good thrilling read. It is not a big book. I mean, it's 310 pages, but it's not like a hefty book. I think I can definitely either carry it in my hand or stick it someplace and have it with me on the plane to read. And so it's interesting. We were talking to an upcoming guest. I won't mention her name. I'll leave everyone to be surprised. But we were talking about, you know, when she, what to read on the plane. And she's talking about sometimes being surprised or having to pick a different book if, you know, like she reads the book and a plane crash is involved. So I don't think there's any plane crashes in this one. (laughs) I think it's another one of those, you know, this one is, she tends to deal with families and sisters. And this looks like it's about a date that has gone wrong. And um, so what has happened the night before? So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I've had... Oh, yes. This was discussed on Sarah Bookshelf's summer reading preview. Oh, okay. It did sound like an interesting thing. Like someone goes on a blind date right. or something, or she goes to meet someone and doesn't come right. back. Yeah. Okay. So I think that will be an engrossing read, and I'm going to take that on on the plane. Nice. That sounds like a good plane read. I don't think there's any plane crashes in that from how they described right. it. Okay, perfect. So next up on my list is a book I mentioned called Devotion by Madeline Stevens. Uh, I had dinner with one of my friends who works at Echo, and she gave me this book. Um, it is, she said it was written by a nanny. And um, so it is sort of, I described it to someone as single white female meets a nanny book. Oh, yes. You said the cover looks like yeah, single the white cover, female-esque. Yeah, the cover, yeah, it's very single white female-esque with one woman, like, staring down another. One has on black sunglasses and the other has on white sunglasses. So basically the woman, let's see, Ella, she's broke. She meets this couple. She becomes very enamored of the wife because, you know, she has this glamorous, easy lifestyle. She's from money. You know, she's she's now surrounded by opulence and wealth as she is the nanny to their child. And it looks like she gets a little, you know, she wants a little sum of what Lonnie has. So we'll see. We'll see how that works out for both of them. And it's, it's shortish too. It's 304 pages. It's a smallish book. It's so I will probably take that on the plane as well. So that's three, roughly 300 page books. So that's first leg of the flight over there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so what's going, a couple more things that are going in my bag. Someone was telling me about this book, Time After Time, and I think it might have been our guest again. She said it was really good. I think it's time travel, but it's set in 1937. It involves the famous clock in Grand Central. This is the clock where anyone asks you to meet in Grand Central, you say we should meet by the clock because it's like, it's, it's an information booth, but it's this big, gold clock right in the center of Grand Central and you you know it's just a perfect meeting place in such a big spot so this has a little bit like I guess maybe their meeting place is the Grand Central clock and Nora Lansing is a socialite she's she this is depression error so she's also a flapper and it has something to do with Manhattan Hinge which everyone stalks and takes pictures of every year here because at at certain points during the year, the way the sun aligns, it's sort of like seeing Stonehenge in Manhattan. But I think that this is linked to her time travel. So it's historical fiction. It's time travel. It, it involves a famous clock. It is a pretty hefty book at 400 pages. It just looks like a big book. So I'm going to put that in my bag so that I can relax at whatever hotel pool on that time next up which i will probably carry with me actually i guess i can save a few to carry with me on my way back but it's this novel called the perfect fraud by ellen lacourt and it is about a woman who comes from a family of psychics like her mother is a very talented psychic but it seems like she does not have the gift and then she cross paths with a divorced mommy blogger who has a sick four-year-old and the, that family of course is becoming really desperate and they start relying on this woman. So it's just all about this family, this family of psychics, how they deal with the daughter being a fraud. And especially when she's getting involved with a woman who of course has very high stakes because her child is sick. I know it, in, what is it your- involves psychic scale. So <laughs> I don't know if it, this might skew it a little bit out, but I will see like how realistic it is, because I feel like it could be something that you like. What is your prediction for how many books you're going to finish by the end of the It's a 16-hour flight, and then we do have this, we do have a flight. I'm going to be flying into Hong Kong, but we won't be staying there. So there's also like a two or three-hour flight to get to Bangkok. And I don't think we're sitting together. I think we just booked on the same plane. So... I don't, I, I feel like I will finish all of the little ones. I don't know about the big guys because Mm -hmm. those, you know, I'm putting in my suitcase so that I don't have to lug them, you know, lug, carry them around in my carry on. And so, yeah. So once I'm there, I don't know how much actual time I'll have reading, we'll get to read. You know, I'm pretty good about, I mean, Bangkok is really hot. Um, it's going to be like 90 degrees there. It's very humid. So it is like last time I was there, I think my whole game was to get up, get up early, which I, I don't have to say get up super early because I'm just naturally an early riser. If I sleep until seven o'clock, even on the weekend, it means I slept in. So I'm a naturally early riser. So I would get up, go down to the pool with my book and probably be there till, you know, nine, ten thirty. Then we would get ready and head out, see a temple, you know, go do something. But usually 
by two thirty, three o'clock, we'd be back at the hotel for a few hours just because it's so hot. It's like, it's, you know, you just don't want to, it's a concrete city. It's humid. It's hours are two, three o'clock in the afternoon. I'll get my morning time. And I believe, you know, just depending on if we, if we're not doing any day trips or whatever, that I will have a fair amount of time to then spend a couple of hours before dinner and going out in the evening, just chilling and sort of reading my book. There is also the temptation to just zone out and play in the pool. So we'll see. I, I feel like I'll finish at least six. And, and that's two weeks, two weeks, right? Is that everything you're bringing or do you have more? That's not everything I'm bringing. So I have this book called The Snakes by Sadie Jones. This one sounds really good. It's about a mixed race artist and her husband who rent a tiny flat in London to escape for a while. And while they're there, her, I guess, troublesome brother, they have a visit with her brother and he owns a hotel in Burgundy. So this is like, while the visit is going on, tragedy strikes. It's a rich people novel. So there's that. It's also very long. It's and by very long, I mean 438 pages. So it's not that long. <laughs> but I look for, I look for books to start ending around 300 pages. I just feel like you need to be wrapping it up unless it's, it's amazing. So hopefully that one will be really good. And the last book that I am taking is The Women of Copper Country by Mary Doria Russell, who I mentioned to you because she wrote this book called The Sparrow, which I have not read. But so many people say that it's so good. And I think it was set in space. I was trying to get you to read a space book. I was like, oh, that's like, right. Gail, read this book. But anyway, this book is about this woman. Her name is Annie, I believe. They call her. Her name is Anna. And they call her the Joan of Arc in this part of the country, like Copper Country. And she goes on to lead the people of the town that she lives in against the copper mining industry, like she organizes them. So if they're calling her the Joan of Arc of this kind of place, it seems like there might be a reason for her to be martyred. I was just really excited to get this one. It's not coming out till August. So I will be able to report back to, you know, to let people know if they should put it on their reading list. Just a quick flip through. It just seems like something that I will really enjoy. And I think that's it. Oh, I have one more, The Butterfly Girl. It comes out in October. It's a follow-up to a book that was written last year called The Child Finder. And it's about this woman whose gift is to find missing children. So I haven't read much about what it's about. It's the follow-up to that novel. It's really not that long. So that was going to be one of my books that I have with me for a flight. And then last night I went to see Jacqueline Woodson. Like Jacqueline Woodson um, is having a book that's going to come out on Riverhead in September. So I went to the celebration party and I actually got an advanced copy of that book. So I don't know. I think that's the knife that I was thinking of sticking in. So that's that. I've got some. Well, that's quite a list. Historical fiction, a little mystery, you know, like some, some devious maids kind of thing. And. A little dystopian. So I think I have a little bit of everything. Most of these books are not out. So if you are, this is a perfect time to get on the whole list for them because a number of them come out in June or they come out over the summer. And that was purposeful too, because they are all ARCs and I plan to just lighten my load after I take, you know, like my 
whatever mm-hmm. my m- the picture of me at the pool with it. I am going behind. to recycle for someone else. I'm going to leave them behind. Yeah, that's always an important consideration when you travel, especially internationally. Yeah, because I feel like I'm going to be shopping and I'm going to want some room for clothes. So. Yeah, what can you leave behind? So arcs are always a good bet on those. Right. Library books, not right. so much. Yeah, you have to take those. Didn't you take a library book on vacation <laughs> once? Oh, I've done it before, yeah. But I try not to because, A, I worried I'll lose it. And, B, then I have that, don't have that option to ditch right. it. Or recycle it. Rehome it, that's what and I And if anything's amazing, then I'll just buy it when I get back, if it's that important. Yeah. Probably won't be at that time, yeah. but maybe. Yeah. So that's that. What would you, what would you add to the mix or take away or what sounded particularly good to you? Um, I think the Wendy Walker one sounded good. That sounds like a good vacation read, especially on a plane when you've got a lot of time that you're trying to pass quickly. Um, I liked the sound of that one. Um, I'm also going to have my iPad and generally, you know, with my Kindle app and generally, generally I am not a good e-reader but on vacation that seems to be a little different i think especially if you're on a plane you're just super focused so you are you always know what it is you're reading because you don't have anything else going on so if all else fails me i will have that as well e-readers are good too when you're traveling especially if you're traveling with other people because you may be in a situation where you can't turn a light Mm -hmm. on like a reading light because you don't want to disturb someone else, but you're up at weird times because of jet lag. Yeah. So if you have an e-reader, you have a little more flexibility. On the downside, though, you have to be sure to keep it charged. And if you're international and you don't, you know, you, it's not always as easy to find the, you know, the adapters you need and stuff. So that's, you know, that's always a challenge. I'm trying to think what you should add. Um, some things that you and I want to read together. What is our next book club book after this one? The Farm. Okay, so you've already read that. I need to read it again. But okay. I probably so won't farm. until I get back. Um, I think we're we're discussing that? the farm, and then we need to s- decide on a bunch of dates. But I think that the books that we have are Golden Child. We both read Daisy Jones and the Six. We both read Adele. We have right. plenty for the next few months but we should be thinking about the next book that we both want to read so that we have some stuff for the fall. I think I'm going to reread Daisy Jones as we've discussed. You're going to listen to it on audio. Uh, yeah, maybe I will listen to it on audio. I think that's the, Oh, cause you did it. You did it on your e-reader. I did it on the e-reader. I think I am. I think I might've swapped golden child, but that's fine. I will remember it. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. It's very memorable. Golden child. Really? Yeah. Tense and sad. And it's, you don't, I don't feel like I need to flip back through it to remind myself of what it was Mm -hmm. about. All right. Well, I'm eager to hear, I'm going to miss you. We, we have some shows pre-recorded, so you won't notice an interruption in the podcast frequency. Um, the most sad thing about Nicole's travel timing is it means she's not going to make it back in time to go to book expo. So this is, um, a little bit hard for me because I'm used to having Nicole there. I like, this is my annual, you know, quality time catch up with Nicole. Plus we have it down to a science where we, you know, one of us waits in one line, one of us waits in another. We, we are very good at sort of 
gaming and strategizing together to make sure we cover the right lines and giveaways. So this may not be as successful a year in terms of getting the books that I want because I don't have dual coverage through you. And also, I don't have your input on what to pick up. So you're leaving me to my my own devices to come up with a spreadsheet, find (laughs) when all the drop times and dates are, and know who it is that I should pick up because you always find books that I didn't know about that I turns out really liked. Well, I will help as much as I can because materials will, you know, people will start publishing lists of what galleys that are going to be available. And usually I think, oh, yeah, um, send them my yeah way. so I will send them your way with, with my starred notes on Gail. You have to get this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Nicole's vacation reading plans. Um, why don't we talk about backlist? Okay. So I've been yammering away. Why don't you tell us what you've picked, <laughs> what you've picked for backlist? So my backlist pick this week is Harmony by Carolyn Parkhurst, which I know we've talked about on this show, but it has been a few years. Mm -hmm. So Carolyn Parkhurst is one of those authors. I think I have read actually every book she's written, uh, unless there's ones that I don't know about. But she writes a huge range of topics. She wrote the book, The Dogs of Babel or Babel, which is about kind of a, well, it's actually not about a talking dog. It's about a guy who's trying to get his dog to talk. So it's not as, it's not as wacky as it sounds. Um, she wrote the book, uh, Lost and Found, which is about a, um, a, a TV reality show like The Amazing Race. Um, she wrote, let's see, I'm trying to look at my shelf and see. So the Nobody's Album is this very strange book about this woman who kind of goes back and rewrites the endings to books she's already written. I think it's been a while since I read that one. It's definitely like an experimental book. But the one I want to talk about today is called Harmony. And it is about a family who has a child on the autism spectrum. And they've been trying to figure out ways to reach this I think it's a daughter, reach the daughter there. They've been, you know, all these different therapies they've tried and all these different lifestyle changes they've made. And they're kind of at their wits end. And they meet this guy who says, I have, am creating this community in the remote woods of somewhere in New England. And you need to like sell off all of your possessions, sell your house and come live in this community. And this is the only way that you will be able to figure out how to kind of live as a family together with this, you know, with this child that has different needs. And so they do it. They kind of put all their blind faith into this man and they drop everything. They live in DC and they move away and they go to this remote place. And it's about what happens when they get there. And, you know, is this guy everything he says he is? And uh, what happens when they get there? I think the book is really about the lengths that we will go to as parents to find ways to, you know, create harmony, as the title suggests, to create a harmonious family and the sacrifices that parents make. And it's just, I love Carolyn Parkhurst writing. I like her view of the world. It's very unique and quirky and yet her characters are totally believable and relatable. And so that is my backlist book of book of the week, Harmony by Carolyn Parkhurst. 
I read that one. Oh, and I, did we did we read it for an uh, every day? I write the book book club. I think so. I think you sent it to me, or had it sent to me. Okay. And I can't remember whether you liked it. Or I not. did. Yeah, she's good. Have you read anything else by I her? I haven't. I want to. I mean, she has. I feel like I, she has these premises that are really interesting. What's her, yeah. what's your favorite of hers? I think my favorite would be Harmony or Lost and Found. Is that the one with I think music? the Nobody's album. No, nobody's album was based around music, right? Uh, I don't think it was based on music. I felt like um, one of her books was music. I'm going to look it up. Let's see. I'm going to look up. I'm going on Amazon right now and seeing, if, first of all, if there are books by her that I don't remember. Let's see. I've got Dogs of Babel, Harmony. Lost and Found, the Nobody's album. So no, I don't think there's any more than those. The Nobody's album is definitely the weirdest of them. And it is this about this novelist who has written a book and she rewrites the last chapters of all of her previous books, removing clues about her personal life concealed within, especially a horrific tragedy that befell her family years ago. Oh, that sounds interesting. I don't Yeah, I don't think there's any music in here. So I don't I don't know what you're referring to about the music. This one is, yeah, this one is like, this is definitely literary fiction. Like it's the least accessible of the four, but uh, it was, it was interesting. Hmm. So I would say if you like reality TV, Lost and Found was a lot of fun. Um, and did you read Dogs of Babel? I guess you said you didn't read anything else by her. I like that one too. So yeah, she's really good. And that one's about the I've one that's trying to get his dog to talk. Yeah, so in that one, his wife ha- has died in, under very strange circumstances in their house. And he's trying to figure out what happened. Like she fell from a tree. And it was very unlike her to be in climbing in a tree. Like the whole thing was very weird. And so the only witness to the death was their dog. So he's trying to understand what happened and get to the bottom of it. And um, he sort of goes down this very strange path of trying to get his dog to speak. And there's some kind of disturbing elements there, but it's really about grief and kind of an unending search for answers and, you know, how, and in, in this story, they eventually unravel what actually happened. So I think you'd like that one too. They're all good. Okay. All right, what's your backlist? All right, so my backlist book of the week is Keeping the Feast by Paula Buderini, and it is a memoir. It's the story of these two journalists who, both of them grow up in a very rich Italian family tradition, you know, where they celebrate food and the preparation of food. And so they have been in love. They've spent many years happy as a couple, and then they marry. And this is when the trouble starts. I believe she is covering maybe the fall of communism in maybe it's the Czech Republic, somewhere in Eastern Europe. And she is just viciously beaten while she's, you know, caught in the midst of some riot. And then I think he is also covering someplace that is dangerous and he shot on assignment and later he, he gets hepatitis B. So, you know, this very happy couple from this loving traditional Italian family, 
is, you know, once they marry, they're just beset. Both of them are beset by all of these, these troubles. And what I really loved about this book was that it would be very easy for it to just be wallowed and weighted down in what it was that they were experiencing. But it was such, she framed it in such a positive way in terms of them having family and the traditions that supported them and the relationships with their friends and how that they, how they gathered over meals was just so, such an intricate part of their lives that it made dealing with these stories, you know, just what has gone on with them has just made it that much more relatable and interesting. And just, you know, while it could have been really heavy, provided just enough relief that you're just really interested in, in getting to know their stories and their family traditions, but also how this couple is dealing with these tragedies that have happened to them, you know, pursuing careers they love when they had such an expectation of just having such a happy life. And, you know, it's about depression. And I felt like it really portrayed it in all of its debilitating aspects, because I feel like, I don't know, depression is one of those terms that we throw around really lightly. Oh, I was depressed when you probably mean you were really sad, or maybe you were sad for a few days, but it just goes into, in, into just more in terms of what true depression is and how they deal with it. So it's a really touching memoir. Like I said, it's, you know, you have this big loving family. It's this couple that loves each other. And it's, it's how that they are able to, you know, use their family and the fabric of their, their culture to support them. It was so good. Nice. When did that come out? I feel like a gazillion years ago. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. Hold on. I wonder if she's written anything else. Goodreads says it's a story of love, food, and injury. Oh my gosh. So it came out in 2011. Oh, okay. It's a triumphant memoir of one couple overcoming depression through nourishment and restoration in Italy. So good. You love books about food. I do. <laughs> yeah. I do. All right. Well, we're going to hop into our book club before we run out of time here. And so this month's book club book was A Woman Is No Man. Um, and yeah. So why don't we get started with that? So A Woman Is, is No Man. Um, why didn't you tell us what it's about first? Okay. So it is about uh, three generations of Palestinian women living mostly in America. Two of them are actually born in Palestine, but moved to America um, earlier. And it's really about the extremely depressing <laughs> situation that these women live in, in modern day in New York. It's not even like you can look at this and say, oh, this is another country. This is another culture. This has nothing to do with me. This is These are people living in the United States in the current day. And it's about how these women are basically raised with the sole purpose of getting married and producing sons. And if they don't get married and if they don't produce sons, how awful their lives are. And even if they do produce sons, how awful their lives are. That their lives become this cycle of like house cleaning and cooking and taking care of children. 
and they don't have jobs and they barely go to school. I mean, they may go to high school, but they don't go to college and they're not really allowed to pursue any kind of like intellectual activity. It's really just all about this tradition of, you know, providing a home for their husbands. And the husbands are, for the most part, uh, violent and un, um, unsympathetic and unsupportive and unhelpful. So it's really a very sad book about, you know, how do you break this cycle? And can, is it possible to break this cycle of the subjugation of women within this culture and the courage it took for the people who did decide to say, you know, I'm, I'm saying no to this. I'm not, I don't want to be part of this and I don't care about the ramifications. Um, I have some thoughts about the writing of the book, which we can get to later, but that's basically what the book is about. So it's, it's eye opening and disturbing and an important book to just address the fact that, you know, we feel like, in a lot of ways, women have made strides. I know there's a lot of issues and uh, wage equality and harassment and all of that. But this, there's huge swaths of the earth that people live on still where women are living like just shockingly unfair lives. And I think that's, you know, the point of the book. What would you add to that for the description? No, I think the description is accurate. I mean, I feel like it reinforces something that I said when, when I – Read educated, you know, we make all these assumptions that there's a certain standard, standard of living even here. And I just feel like everyone is, you know, people are living really different lives, you know, just because. And that's one thing that I have to remember living, you know, in New York. And because this, this was really interesting because it takes place in Brooklyn and there are so many times when I'll be out in different communities and you see a, you know, a large group of people, whether it's Hasidic Jews or whether it is, you know, Palestinian, you can go and there's whole communities or you run into people who don't speak English and you wonder, how is that possible? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is it possible that you can you know, be what, here five for miles 20, from where right, you are? You can be here 20 years yeah. and really not speak English well. And I think right. it, it just gives such a perspective of it because I think the thinking is you're going to go someplace and if you're going to be there for a while, you're going to learn language and things are very easy or whatever. But, you know, I think one of the big things that comes across in this book in terms of is like how people hold on to the want to, especially when they come to this country under duress, are not here necessarily. I mean, not that they don't want to be here. Of course, Ameri you know, the United States offers a lot of opportunity um, which is alluded to in this book, but at the same time, it's not like, it's not like people left because they just wanted to come here because they loved it so much. You know, they were torn from their homes in, in violent ways because of unstable governments or war. And this was the best choice for them or the choice that, you know, like marriage plays a big role in, in, I guess, relocating these women, especially in this novel, like it's, it's through marriage. And there's a big thing with the grandmother in this story, you know, talking about going back to Palestine in order to find someone who is going to be obedient. And there's this theme of, you know, raising grandchildren who are clearly have been um, influenced in a lot of ways by American culture but 
in the way that we recognize American citizens, they don't, you know, like it's an insult or, you know, oh, look, I'm a, ra- I'm raising an American because the transmission and the, the retention of their culture is just so prevalent. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't going to be like a, a fun, uplifting read in any way, but it is certainly worthwhile. And, uh, I'm glad I read it and I don't, you know, this is not one that you'll easily forget. Now that said, I had some issues with the writing of this book, I have to say, which is I found it incredibly repetitive and like it, the, the same thoughts and ideas came up just over and over and over again. I kind of felt like I was banged over the head with it. And I also think, you know, people always say that like show don't tell this aired much more on the side of telling. Like it was like, she felt this, she thought this, she did that. There wasn't much, uh, there wasn't much subtlety to it. And maybe that's just a debut writer sort of learning to trust her readers and with time and confidence that will dissipate some, but I, I really got a little frustrated as I was reading it. Did that bother you at all? It seems repetitive, but I kind of thought that that was just the nature of their lives. And like, I guess the generational relationship that these women had, you know, whether you're a young teenager and you grew up in Brooklyn or whether you were raised in Palestine, Mm -hmm. suffer through the war. It's like their experiences weren't any different because of where they placed women in the culture that the grandmother, the mother, the daughter would have similar thoughts because their lives are so limited and they're up against the same things that even though Dea is requesting, she, she would love to go to college, but she is running up against the same kind of things that this, you know, the only thing that you really need to do is to be a woman, you know, you're not a man and all of these other things are not important. What's important is, that you get married. And I, I just, I really felt like she did a really good job because this entire novel takes place basically in the kitchen of this Brooklyn, right? In the kitchen of this Brooklyn dwelling. So yeah. So you're saying that the, the, the claustrophobia inducing nature of the writing reflects the claustrophobia they're feeling. That makes sense. I mean, there are very few scenes, like there's a couple of memories that take place in the grandma's life, Farida, and when she's flashing back to Palestine and everyone has these excuses for why their lives are the way they are, you know, why their husbands beat like their traditions, not delivering male children engenders so much guilt. And there's so much pain that's transmitted through this practice, you know, pressure on the firstborn. So I just thought it was inevitable. And I thought that each of the scenes, you know, Like just the transmission of their lives, basically, like I said, in the kitchen, there's a couple of places where maybe they're in the dining area at one point, you know, you're on the boulevard of Brooklyn, but it's just so brief. Right. God, I was just like getting so frustrated while I was reading it. I just like, I get it. I know. I understand. But. You get it. You know, you understand, but at the same time, it's just like, but this does not change for these women. So they get it. They understand. True. And it's still, you know, still them dealing with the men in their lives and being so affected by the men in their lives. 
the grandmother was such, you know, Farida, she was such an interesting character because she had, I guess what I saw a lot with, with the women here. And the only one who didn't have this issue was Um Ahmed. Like Farida had such, there was such a lack of compassion with her, you know, with all that she had been through. And then right. this culture, it survives by the death of compassion in a sense. Right. Yeah, you have to just completely subvert whatever you might feel in order to to survive. Right. And I had to. Yeah, it's like ha- hazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like medical school. They always say like it's so hard because people feel like, you know, they have to they had to go through it or the military, they had to go through it. So this is the way it is. I think it was really interesting too how culture was more important than religion in this novel, which I thought was very interesting that it was just sort of like, eh, you know, yes, that the head covering was so important. They really didn't care about whether they did well in school, but it was all about this, you know, this patriarchal structure and lack of education. I don't know. It just all tied into the just religion not being so important, but the transmission of the culture and how our family operates is paramount. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that when these women do have any little bits of freedom, you feel like they don't really take advantage of it. Um, and I think it's just the programming in their brains that they just, you know, they couldn't, they just couldn't do it. They were so scared and constrained. And, you know, then they were, because they were inside so much, they had no street smarts and no ability to get around. And so it just perpetuated this imprisonment that they felt. Do you think there's a sense of hope at the end? Like that, that maybe, you know, by setting an example for independence, that there's hope for the kind of the younger generation of this family? I do. I mean, I really like the fact that Dea seems to rewrite Isra's story so that she is able to take the money and she's able to get away as opposed to, you know, being beaten to death by her husband. Mm -hmm. You know, that last chapter that was, she's able to take her girls and she's terrified to go into the train station, but she does it like she's going to ask someone. And it's just one of those things that you wish that she was able to do. For me, when I read these stories and with especially people who don't speak the language are are from another country, and and in this case, whether they're afraid to be sent back or not, just the language, like you said, the lack of navigation of the streets, so many things. And I think about how hard change is in general for someone who's a native, speaks the language, has grown up within, I guess, the greater culture of the, the United States, which is something that they are rejecting in the hopes of carrying on their Palestinian culture. So just navigating things as a woman is already just difficult when you have all the advantages. So to see Farida when she is afraid, I mean, she won't go five blocks away from her home and you realize that she doesn't speak English and she's just terrified to be on the streets. And this is someone who doesn't have compassion. It's hard because she's just so mean in so many ways when she could have taken another path, but like, you know, she's just invested and this is what she's been through and her girls are going to be raised this way. But to see her just being so fearful because she doesn't, the times when she does push herself, it is in 
trying to get a suitor or trying to get something for her girl so that they can get married. And that's when you find her in different places, like a shop in Brooklyn, but you see how much is taken for her to just walk the street to get there. So, Right. Well, we'd love to hear what you listeners think of A Woman Is No Man. So please leave us a comment or send us an email and let us know if you agree with our assessment of the book and what you got out of it. And if you think there is hope for Dea and her sisters too. So next time we're going to be talking about The Farm by Joanne Ramos. And then we will publish our schedule for other book clubs for later in the summer. So, all right, Nicole, we're going to wish you a very good trip with lots of reading and also lots of non-reading and exploring and eating. And so, okay, until next time, we'll, we'll catch up with everybody in the beginning of June, uh, although there will be plenty of episodes between now and then. But we will be live back in the beginning of June with stories of travel, stories of book expo. And hopefully lots of books under our belt to discuss as well. So until next time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.